0: Hello, and welcome to Your Investment Partners with Paul and Garrett, where we talk about all things financial, focusing on helping you plan, keep, and grow for a successful future. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. And if you're tuning in again, welcome back and thank you for listening. Hello, and welcome
1: to Your Investment Partners with Paul and Garrett. Excited to have you with us today. We're going to talk about a really common question that we get all the time from our clients about what documents we should be keeping, what's their purpose, and different areas, including tax, health, and estate documents that are important to keep all in one place. My name is Garrett Smith, and look forward to having you with us today.
2: Good to be here again.
1: I think today we've got covering a common question we get from clients about what records and paperwork they need to keep.
2: Well, one thing about uh, our business is that uh, they'll bury you in paperwork if you let them. Um, So many regulations and we're required so much disclosure from from the, fed, from the feds that it just, you know, kind of has to be sent out. And sometimes I wonder if we send out so much that it's just, you know, so much that people just ignore everything, which obviously is, you know, kind of not the right right approach either. So the, the big question about today is, um, you know, what paperwork do we send and what do you need to keep? So I guess I'll ask Garrett that question.
1: <laughs> I think from a high level... There's records and there's notices, and anytime we get paperwork, the records are what we want to keep. Those are things relating specifically to a client account. Uh, those are those month end snapshots, year end uh, balances, and uh, information. But then there's the other ones that are the that fall in the category of say trade confirmation, and those are more of notices, um, just saying something happened in the account. Uh, and those are, in my opinion, not as critical, though they have uh, information to you, but they're summarized in the records portion of it. Um, so you get notices usually are duplicated from the records portion. So one, a common thing that happens if we sell a stock and buy another one, a client will get a notice saying that the trade happened, a trade confirmation, but then they'll also get that same information on their month end statement that shows what was bought and sold. And so that trade confirmation doesn't necessarily need to be kept because it's recorded in that month end snapshot and i think as long as you have each one of those it can give you a clear record of what's going on in the account if there happens to be any questions so i think the most critical ones and the most important ones when it comes from a high level are the client are the are the account records month end year end records of of what has gone on in the account
2: It's really if uh, if somebody hangs on to their their statements, you know, all the transactions for the whole year are going to be on the on the statement and it's going to have all the information that that they need. And then in addition to that, there's tax documents that come out at the end of the year. And obviously, those are those are kind of important, too.
1: Yeah, the tax documents are obviously on that record portion. Uh, they need to get recorded and uh, passed over to your tax professional, or if you're doing it yourself, that, uh, that they're in there as well. Um, you know, those those will cover things of what money was put in and taken out of the account, any any taxable events, uh, you know, ordinary income or or long term and short term capital gains, and those those need to be kept and retained. Uh, and I think we can touch on tax documents later, uh, but those those are multi year. You know, you want to hang on to any tax documents for 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 multiple years instead of just year over year, you know, kind of the month end statements. Generally speaking, if if you're keeping one year's worth of monthly statements and then the next January comes around, you're probably good to get rid of last year's January statement. You know, when the new one comes out and, and having 12 months of those uh, will keep things uh, keep things in place. We do have, you know, electric electronic records that we can go back and pull if there's questions and that can be helpful for clients as well Um, but maintaining those is uh, tax documents a lot longer of a time period than than the year-end statements
2: so there's not really any reason for somebody to keep like 10 years worth of monthly statements right yeah
1: yeah there's (laughs) that's the yeah there's Definitely going overboard on the record retention, especially if you're maintaining the end of year records. Those those you could the year end summary um, is a good one to keep for for maybe longer than just one year, because that kind of summarizes everything that happened for the given year.
2: So that's that just that December statement kind of has the whole, you know, kind of the whole year on there. And if you wanted to hang on that one for a little longer, great. Uh, But the other 11 statements not so much, right? Yeah. That's, that's, that's the way I look at it too.
1: And then I think the other category that comes in are some of those uh, class action notices.
2: Uh, Yeah. So what's a class action notice?
1: Well, obviously all these companies that we own, there's always lawsuits and class actions being brought against them because they're massive. Uh, So whether they're guilty of it or not, there's just always events happening. And What happens to a client is is when one of these comes up, all financial institutions get notified. And so they just reach out to any client that they think would have ownership into one of these companies or may have ownership into it. So oftentimes these notices may not be directed from us, um, but from another financial institution that assumes or knows that you may have some of these ownership in some of the companies. And and one thing that's really nice is we've been able to team up with a third-party company, Broadridge is the name of the company, and they monitor all of these that come through and look if there's opportunities or if they're worthwhile in in filing and collecting them if our clients fall into the, the window. Because typically how those work is you need to have owned a share during a certain time period. And oftentimes that time period's from five to seven years ago. And so when we go back through the records we say yes we owned however many shares of this company but if but if you have owned that share in any time in those last five to seven years maybe not necessarily that six month window you're you're probably going to get notified about it. So even though you're getting notified, doesn't necessarily mean you qualify for it. So there's kind of the two conditions that need to be met on those uh, uh, class action notices.
2: I think the other problem with the class action notices is that f- for the for the most part, um, you know these are massive lawsuits, but they're they're divided by you know millions and millions and millions of shares. And so you could have a you could have a twenty five million dollar lawsuit and it's spread across you know, a hundred million shares, mm-hmm. which means it's by the time you take out attorney's fees and all the, all the stuff, it's, you know, five cents a share, it's 10 cents a share. And if our typical client owns, you know, a hundred shares, it's, it's $5. And so how much work do you want to do, Um, you know, to try and collect $5? You know, I mean, there's, there's time involved, there's postage, there's, there's all these all these problems, and that's that's why we've hired Broadridge to kind of do what they do for us, right?
1: Yeah, and so they'll come in and, and uh, file on our clients' behalf, and uh, and then distribute the funds accordingly. And because when we aggregate them all together, then it becomes worth the effort um, versus uh, you know a client here and
2: a client there. Um, so essentially, we're saying if you get a class action lawsuit notice, you can just throw it away yep. because. Uh, we've hired a company to take care of it. If we're eligible, they're going to collect the funds, and it will be deposited into client accounts. Yep, yep.
1: And I think you know, I think at the highest level, when it comes to any of these records, when in doubt, you know, feel free to bring it by the office, mail it in, email it in. You know, we'll take a look and answer any questions. I think one thing, uh, one. Kind of additional layer that falls onto this is oftentimes there's fraudulent notices. These particularly come over a text message or an email that says, "Hey, click to verify your bank account" or something. And and uh, obviously, we never want to click on those links. If you're ever navigating to your bank from an email, just type in the bank address directly into the browser instead of clicking a link to take you there. Um, But and so, if you get those kind of notices in the email, we're more than happy to look at those and and. 99% 99% of the time they're fraudulent um, but but when in doubt uh, you know just send them in or bring them by the office and we're happy to review them for you and see if there's anything that happened that we need to do got it.
2: that sounds like good advice to me
1: I, I think kind of the other areas that we have to cover are, are not only specific to our paperwork but kind of broader you know tax and estate and medical records that should be kept um, Paul and kind of in your experience and your years of wisdom. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What are some tax documents that need to be held on to?
2: Well, your tax documents, um, you know, there's, uh, they're going to come in abundance depending on your situation, but uh, trust accounts, you're going to get a a 1099. Um, So obviously hang on to those. And, um, you know, a lot of times you're going to get an amendment on that. And so we encourage people to kind of delay filing their taxes until, you know, towards the end of the filing period. You can get them prepared and ready to go, but, uh, you know, you usually don't want to put them in the mail until about the 1st of April, because by then, uh, hopefully all the 1099, the corrected version will have uh, come out. And we don't have as much a problem with that as we did in the past, but we still, you know, it's probably wise to wait. So you're going to get a 1099, your IRA account, you're going to get a 1099R, uh, so the same form, only just for your IRA account. Obviously, you're going to want to uh, hang on to that one also. Those are the the, the two main ones you're going to get from uh, your investment accounts um, would, would be those two.
1: Yeah, and I think just one thing to highlight on those uh, corrected 1099s is um, sometimes companies are just slow to report, and that's the... Um, The clearing firms are required to get them out by a certain date. So they just send out all the information they have. uh, And then when all the updated information comes through, that's what triggers an updated or a corrected uh, 1099. Um, And that's...
2: That's a nice, that's a great way of saying that it's not us that's being slow at somebody else. Is that right?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Which is actually true.
2: And some companies that uh, provide products to us, Um, you know, sometimes the reporting just takes a little bit more time and, but, but we have to put out what we have available. Uh, I think it's the 15th of April now, or uh, February, Mm -hmm. right? 15th of February, we have to have things out, whether it's accurate, completely accurate or not. And that's when the amendments come in.
1: Yeah. But I think, I think your idea of, you know, start the preparation process um, and then, uh, and then hold off on to it to file till right at the end to see if there's anything that comes out as, as corrected. Cause we, we don't know. Um, you know, that's not like we get a red flag saying, Hey, this is not everything. Right. Um, I, I think one thing to highlight here too, uh, just uh, from an income perspective of is until you start taking social security, you really want to hang on to your W-2s, which is just your wages that you're earning um, because your, your social security is based off your taxable wage. And, mm-hmm. and, and so just verifying the records that social security administration has versus the W-2s that you've been paying taxes on line up. And, and I think that's one thing to check right before, uh, you start collecting social security that those two numbers line up and you're not getting undercredited for a particular year.
2: Yeah. I don't think the social security administration is good as sending out those notices as they used to be. I used to get one every year and for some reason now Pam gets one oh, about every two or three years, but I haven't had one for ages. So I don't know if they just don't think I'm sending them any money or what the deal is, <laughs> but I have, that's definitely something to, to check in on before you start the draw and make sure they're, uh, their records are accurate for sure.
1: Yeah, and I think just going into that SSA.gov, Social Security Administration.gov, and and requesting uh, those balances, creating an account and and requesting one is probably the best way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and looking at that year by year, we obviously always encourage our clients to do that because that's a large part of uh, retirement planning. Is you know what should we expect from Social Security, and so you know keeping an eye on that year over year is, is especially as you get closer to taking those social security withdrawals is is a great benefit. So there's no surprises when you get there. Right. Yep. Uh, What about estate planning documents Um, need to be kept?
2: Yeah, estate planning documents are, you know, they're obviously really important. Um, Usually when you go into an attorney to uh, get those set up, they're going to give you a binder. And uh, it's just, you know, try to keep that all together. Uh, In that binder, there's going to be not only your your living trust, but your directives to physician statements, your power of attorneys. And and all those documents are usually, um, you know, when the attorneys put them together, they usually put them in a binder for you. So if they didn't put them in a binder, keep them all together and uh, just make it a lot easier for uh, people to find them if something happens and they, they need to be able to find them. It's It's, you know, best to have them all in one place, obviously. So.
1: Yeah, I think that's uh an important point to make sure you know your successor trustees or you know whoever you uh, would like to kind of help uh work out your estate after you're gone. Can make sure they know where all these documents are. Um generally they should be in an easy to to find place. Um you know, a safe's always a good place um is to have some of these important documents but behind a lock and keys so they're not just out and about, but definitely those who are, uh, who you're putting in charge of, of kind of taking care of the affairs after you're gone uh, should know where they're easily are, um, whether you want to you know, make them known about what's in there. That's obviously a personal decision, um, but uh, the less box digging somebody has to do after somebody passes away, the better. Um, there's it, that speeds up the process in settling in a state as well as uh, makes it more convenient. I, I think we've seen a time or two where um, kids or, or beneficiaries were surprised by documents being found later. And that's that's never a fun thing. Is to...
2: So the other thing about those estate uh, documents, I think it's important to mention is that uh, you, you probably ought to dig those out every, you know, th- two, three, four years and just personally read through them to make sure that they still make sense to you because uh, things change, circumstances change. You don't necessarily have to go uh, back to the attorney to review them unless you read through them and you go, yeah, that's not really what I want anymore. And and that's the time to kind of schedule with the attorney and update the the documents and and how you want things to go from there.
1: And then I think uh, stepping over to the medical side, um, most of the, the record and retention, uh, that we've seen is, that often gets missed is around a health savings account. You know, if you have a high deductible plan with a health savings account, any, any money paid out of there, you want to keep a receipt for, um, or if you're reimbursing expenses to yourself down the road, you want to keep, obviously keep receipts for that. So anytime there's, um, medical procedures that involve funds coming from an HSA, I think is, is one area that. It often gets overlooked or is easy to get overlooked because of the, you know, once again, the medical field's similar to the financial field. That There's uh, just a ton of paperwork and documents that get created along there.
2: Yeah, in the medical um, field, I mean, obviously there's, you know, payments going back and forth from the insurance company, your deductibles, your coinsurance. Uh, all those kind of things, and and some of those are tax applicable also. But the the threshold to deduct your medical expenses is quite high right now. Unless you have something uh, very very serious, you're you're probably not going to reach that threshold. But when it involves an HSA, there are you know it's just worth kind of tucking those uh, medical expense things in a file. Get to the end of the year, see if you need them, and and also put them uh, aside for future use. Because my understanding is you can kind of you know keep track of those and then retroactively go back and reimburse yourself yeah uh, for those over time
1: yep yeah, those are there's as of right now they, they don't expire you can use those dollars down the road to to pay back uh, if you paid out of pocket for previous expenses as long as you can show the receipt for, from those um, and so that's it. you know it's a worthwhile thing it's obviously something just discuss with your assurance and, and tax professionals but uh, it's one a- area that uh, can be very helpful uh, but it does involve uh, record keeping and and that's you know, along those lines that's an indefinite uh you know record storage you never want to get rid of those um and that's similar to you know kind of the tax returns at the end of the year and you know you just kind of want to hang on to those for for as long as you can um and uh, I, I think kind of just going back to what we talked about at first of, are they records or are they notices? You know, when we open up new accounts uh, here. Uh, there's there's a, a mountain of notices that get put out and, and, and sent to the client that, you know, informs them of all the various account structures and, and what they all mean. And those are more of a notice than a record, you know, records specific to you as the client or the individual. And those are the ones that are, are important for us to keep when it comes to your personal tax return. You know, that's a record of, of your current standing for the year. And, and so records we always want to keep. Um, and uh, the longer we can keep those, the really, the better.
2: Well, this has all been clear as mud today. <laughs> I love, uh, love record keeping. Glad most of it's electronic nowadays, at least. So
1: it sure helps. If you're going to record, you know, I think on the last note, if you're going to keep things in the in the cloud or as a record, having a physical backup as well as a cloud backup, you know, through one of the large providers, maybe like a box or a Dropbox or something like that. Having a physical storage in your home, but also a cloud storage, is a great way to go. Um, redundancies when it comes to record is a good thing. Um, and then that kind of obviously opens up a whole other uh, can of worms about if it's if you can modify those records
2: afterwards uh, and how they should be stored. But that's a discussion for another day. Well, and just to mention just before we uh, shut down here is that mo- most of these things can be suppressed uh, if you have online services and you know you can log into your computer and look at your account online. You can go in and suppress uh, all of the notices. Mm-hmm. Actually, all of the statements and tax documents, I don't uh, normally recommend that, but uh, you certainly can suppress the notices and a lot of the mail that you're getting. And so if that's uh, if you're getting a cumbersome amount of, of of hard copies from us and you need to kind of work through that, uh, just give us a call. Uh, Shannon or Jessica or ourselves can kind of help you work, work through that so that you can suppress a lot of that unnecessary information that uh, that you're getting.
1: Yeah, and that doesn't mean you won't. Uh, get it. It just means you won't get it in physical form. It'll just come through your email. Right. Uh, So it just stays electronic uh, instead of getting all the physical paperwork. But I think that's a great place to stop. Um, Thanks for being with us. And until next time.
2: See you later.
0: Thank you for tuning in and listening to Your Investment Partners with Paul and Garrett. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, visit us at ascendinvestment.com, where you can subscribe to our newsletter to keep you up to date. See you in the next episode. Kessler, Norman & Ride LLC DBA Ascend Investment Partners is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where our firm and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by Ascend Investment Partners unless a client service agreement is in place. The opinions expressed in this podcast are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice, performance data, or recommendations that any particular security, portfolio of securities, transaction, or investment strategy is suitable for any specific person. This program is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. All opinions contained in this podcast are subject to change at any time without notice. To determine which, if any, investments may be appropriate for you, please consult with your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this podcast is not guaranteed of future results. As always, please remember that all investing involves risk and possible loss.